Hello and welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. This is episode number 54 with Jeffrey Pabst, the Chief Revenue Officer of FaZe Clan. I've talked a lot about FaZe Clan in recent content about how they're helping to set the culture and set the future for esports up in a different way to some others. They came up from content and then across into the esports realm through Call of Duty and into Counter-Strike and many other games. We talk a lot about diversifying revenue streams and income. We talk about what keeps Jeff up at night, about churn and esports, sponsorships, about building a great sales team, and some knowledge and insights on the Call of Duty World League. I can't wait for you to listen to this podcast. I get a lot out of every single time I talk to Jeff, and I think you will too. Enjoy. Thanks so much for being a listener of this podcast. We've created it really to help increase information sharing and understanding of the esports market. If you'd like to help us out, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you do and make sure to share this with your friends. Hopefully we've been able to provide some fantastic information to you and a bit of a learning experience over this period of time, whether you're looking to skill up, enter the industry, or you're just looking to monitor to see how things are going. If you'd like to put yourself forward as a guest, suggest any others or ask any questions feel free to connect with us at bigesports.gg or on any of the social media platforms at bigesports underscore gg. Jeff, great to have you on, mate. A few weeks in the making. How are you? I'm doing great. How about yourself, Chris? Yeah, fantastic, mate. What what time is it for you and, and where in the world are you right now? I'm based in Los Angeles and it's roughly 5.30. So you get catch me at the end of my business day, the start of yours. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Yeah, it's quarter quarter past 10 here in the morning for us here in Australia. I assume it's a bit warmer over there than it is here too. Uh, and we have Indian summer here in California. So this is always the best time of year. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Well, let's kick it off as we always do. And let me know a little bit more about yourself. Where did you come from and, and how did that bring you to where you are today with FaZe Clan? Of course. So uh, today I'm the, the chief revenue officer at FaZe Clan. I've been here since the start of the year. Um, I'm roughly a, a digital... Uh, uh, monetization guy for almost the last like 12 years in management. Uh, I started in, in ad tech at a few companies. And then I most recently was working at Shazam, uh, mm-hmm. where I was uh, the head of sales there. And we ultimately sold the business to Apple. Um, and I uh, was going to take a little bit of time off. Um, and then I just got really intrigued with Fortnite. And my my goal was originally to work at Fortnite. And I found the, the next closest thing uh, in choosing the world's best Fortnite team uh, in Phase Clan. Yeah, fantastic, man. That's a that's a pretty good wrap up. So let me know a bit more about, I guess, how you got into a company like Shazam, and and tell me a little bit more about your day today. Because I think you know most people who follow this podcast wouldn't really have any idea about how exactly sales at Shazam or monetization would work, and, and I don't either. Yeah, so Shazam was a, a really interesting experience. I actually had a, a, a connection via uh, my sister, um, and uh, I ultimately worked for a guy named Greg Glenday, one of the most energetic, charismatic sales guys I'd ever worked with. Uh, and he hired me with the vision that we were going to build uh, a future uh, powerhouse within advertising. We launched something called Shazam for Brands. Um, Shazam was a, a magical app that you know tells you what song it was, uh, and it really mm-hmm. came in an opportune time for me. Um, I learned a lot about the monetization of digital properties there, um, where Shazam was an advertising company, but also had this really big affiliate side to it as well. A uh, huge driver for Apple Music and then a lot of the, the streaming services as well. Um, at its peak, it was driving over a million downloads a day. Um, and I was just lucky to be a part of it at that time. So there's, I mean, there's so many things that we need to chat about today in regards to FaZe Clan. It's, it's, I think people who follow me on LinkedIn are probably sick of me talking about FaZe. You know, I'm a strong believer that, that FaZe is doing a lot of different things in a good way to most other esports teams. And the history of FaZe is very interesting and, and different to how most people operate. So could you maybe, I mean, what's your elevator pitch? You go in to talk to a new brand or to an investor or a new company about FaZe. How do you explain it in like 30 seconds or less? So we really position ourselves as the most followed esports organization in the world. Um, but we're more than esports. We're more of a gaming lifestyle brand. Uh, mm. And that gaming lifestyle brand is really hitting the mainstream. So uh, when we talk to potential partners, we're really selling the idea of gaming entertainment. Um, and you know, at the same time uh, of uh, an esports opportunity that exists within our company as well. 
Yeah, and, and one thing I've talked about so much in content and, and you and I talked about as well, and I think it's the best part to, to kick off, is gaming versus esports. Obviously, esports brings people in. It's the buzzword. It's what's interesting. There are some organizations you compete with, like, say, Cloud9 or Team Liquid, which I think would be much, much more focused on the esports side of their identity than, than you guys are. But for you, I see you much more in the gaming space. So how do you how do you tackle that as an as an esports team or as a as a gaming organization? Do you hold that sort of same identity that I see from the outside? And how do you communicate that across the brands when they come wanting the professional esports, but you say, hey, I think working directly with someone like FaZe Banks would be better? Yeah, so it's interesting. Like I think esports has has kind of become this catch-all term, but it's actually a very small segment of gaming entertainment, right? Mm. So esports uh, advertising spend is predicted in the next few years to cross $2 billion, but the global games market is $150 billion. Yeah. So for us, it's really important when we talk to marketers is really the roots of FaZe Clan are almost 10 years now. Um, and it was a bunch of content creators. And esports was never a part of the mix. It was just a, a bunch of guys uploading content onto YouTube and Call of Duty trick shots um, that evolved into fielding esports teams and building this massive social following. Uh, and today we have over 200 million followers across all of our main channels, which is uh, an amazing thing. And we have the best fans and we'll never lose sight of that. Yeah, and I mean that's that's part of your powerhouse, right? There's most most organizations now are trying to employ content creators to boost themselves into that market where that's really the the powerhouse that phase is is you come from that content creation background. So, you know, do you find that being a major advantage for you in regards to the digital campaigns and fan engagement when you start going more into esports? Yeah, I think from a, a starting point, I think uh, we're very protective of the brand and what it represents and how we transact with clients. And I think being uh, true to that authenticity is very important. So the type of content that we'll create for marketers, I think we know is going to be, it's going to hit within the gaming community and our phase base. Um, but in addition to that, being able to distribute content organically is a tremendous advantage. Um, even in the time I've been at the company since the start of this year, we've almost doubled our Instagram reach uh, mm. from four uh, up to, I think we're at 7.3 million just on our main channel alone. Um, altogether, if we start taking some of our talent, we have this just massive platform, which is kind of redefining like what a media company is. Like at Shazam, for example, mm. we had a home and you would buy inventory on that homepage or one of our, um, our sub pages. But at Shazam or at, at FaZe Clan, we have this uh, social uh, distributed network and it gives us a, a ton of access to distribute content for, for marketers at a, at a really high level. Yeah, and, and this is what I've been talking about, like in the LinkedIn live stream I did recently with Jerry Suckers from Playside, who makes a lot of apps with influencers, in saying that if you've got influencers as part of your company, you really are your own marketing agency. You don't need to employ these influencers to talk about things for you because they're your friends, and you can pass off the phase merch to them, and they're going to wear it because you know they want to support their friends, and it, it cuts out so many of those costs for you in expansion. Yeah, I think there's a, a variety of things. It's just figuring out how they can cross pollinate one, one another, and I think that's part of the beauty of Phase Clan. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, we have this idea of like Phase's family, and a, a lot of our individual influencers they're really supportive of others, and I think that's something you don't necessarily see at a lot of companies. So they all fly yeah. under the Phase umbrella, and you know, strength in numbers really really matters. And, you know, we've, uh, taken, uh, talent, uh, who have literally no social following. We bring them into face clan and they became, come mega stars, uh, and internet culture very, very quickly. Um, and it's, it's one of the, the power of, of the brand that we have, um, amongst the, the internet. Yeah, and that's one of the hardest things I've seen for a lot of these esports organizations is exactly that, is interfacing different creators together and interfacing esports with influencers. I mean, how do you go about that when you're working in the esports side of things? We've all seen lots of cringy content where brands have tried to get traditional sports celebrities together with gamers to do things. You can tell they're not having fun. You know, how does FaZe keep that authentic? Is that a big part of your recruitment process is making sure people gel first? Uh, I think first and foremost, you know, I, I work on the monetization side. So we have a lot of our talent. Uh, there's people like Apex and Banks who are 
who they just understand what is going on in gaming culture, unlike anything I've ever seen. Um, mm. They have a pulse, and they know people that are going to share a similar uh, philosophy. Now, my goal is, as the monetization guy and the money guy is to find brands that will also empower us to help tell those stories. Mm. And I, you know that that is a, a luxury that we have. Um, you know, I do believe on the content creator side and influencer side. Uh, it is a a life changing moment when you get into Face Clan, and that's why so many of our talent, when they join our roster, uh, embed themselves as you're not just uh, sway, you're phase sway, uh, mm. you're you're you know, and you're phase high sky, and it becomes who you are, and it's part of your identity. And I think it also keeps them really connected to um, what the original message is when it's all coming together. And, you know, I've, I've talked in a lot of content as well, and, and you've seen a lot online about how FaZe is kind of setting culture in gaming and, and bringing gaming more so to the mainstream. So can you take 30 seconds just to explain some of the partnerships that you've that you've built within, you know, these NBA plays, these rappers, et cetera, that have started repping FaZe Clan recently? Yeah. So um, I think that gaming culture is now hitting the mainstream. And we talked a little bit about it when, when we started. Um, I think... You know, there are celebrities in the sports world and entertainment who love to game. Mm. And oftentimes these interactions just become organic. Like they just kind of roll in, in a similar social group. They start playing with one another. Next thing you know, they're playing Fortnite together. And it's really a beautiful thing in terms of how it comes together. And, you know, some of the people that um, are attached to FaZe Clan are people like Little Yachty, uh, who FaZe Boat. Um, there's people like Juju Smith, um, people like Offset most recently. And Offset is a is a tremendous example where he is this larger than life celebrity, one of the biggest rappers in the world. But deep down, he just likes the game, and uh, we're very fortunate to have that as as part of our identity as a company. Um, and then I think that transcends also to working with the brand community. So we have two kind of ways that I view you know our our monetization efforts is we have our our tried and true historical partners, partners like G Fuel who have been with us for. For, since the beginning. Um, and they've been tremendous partners, partners like Steel Series, um, who continue to, to innovate with us and pushing out their products and messaging. But then we also at the same time have newer partners uh, like Nissan. And uh, you know they are a long-term or a, a, a core sponsor, uh, our title exclusive automotive sponsor. And then you also have more media and transactional programs uh, like something we just did with Burger King, where we brought uh, the King to uh, basically do a taste challenge, uh, Impossible Whopper taste challenge at the Face House with our guys. And it was fun. It was playful. Mm. It then led into a squad stream with the King where they played Fortnite and they dominated everybody. And then at the end of that was an opportunity to, to meet with our fans. And we did an announcement right before. And we had hundreds of kids show up. It was 110 degrees outside. And the beauty of that is it, it wasn't a sponsorship. It, it was a media activation. And I think, you know, that's, those are the types of programs that we want to do more of. Um, and, you know, I can't release like how it performed, but it did exceptionally well. It was picked up in the press, um, not just in esports um, publications, but also just in marketing programs, which I think um, speaks to the power of, of what we're trying to do as a company. Yeah, and I th- I think you know for anyone listening who's wanting to follow this kind of model, um, the f- affectionate term is that within esports and gaming, the bullshit meter is is often very sensitive, and you can tell very quickly that someone like Offset was having fun, you know, in that content that I saw, um, and especially by the Instagram comments, you know, any any time someone would uh, say something negative about him playing, he'd be replying to them straight away with with something pretty funny. I I did enjoy, yeah. you know, I try to stay away from the comment section as much as I can on any platform. But uh, yeah, with that one, it was great. But you can you can tell really quickly. I mean, there was some, you know, there was a gaming brand here in Australia. I don't want to name and shame, but you know, they they did a bunch of stuff with some traditional sports celebrities and and influencers. And you can just tell within the first thirty seconds, they're not having fun. They're not really friends, and they don't really know each other. Yeah, and our, to be honest, like our content department has oversight of everything, and they are so talented. And the amount of ideas as a business guy that I go to and be like, hey, would you? Do you do this and they shoot down? It's like I maybe get one idea out of five pass through, and then they'll come back and be like, "Well, what about if we did it this way?" And I think you know we've seen a lot of our content that's come out uh, from Nissan and Burger King that has just done incredibly well. We did something with HTC, HTC as our exclusive VR partner, and it was just nominated mm-hmm. for a Grammy Award. It was amazing. It it was a funky kind of weird piece of content, but it was on tone, and our fans loved it. And 
you know, going to the comments, um, unfortunately I go there as well. Uh, you know, that, that was something coming from the outside of gaming was like, like you, it's a vibrant world. It's growing. It's special. It's conservative in nature, but it can also be somewhat polarizing. Hmm. And I, I think for, for us, you know, we really, really have, um, uh, we, we look at it as a barometer. Is it working or is it not? And we did our Nissan reveal video on Instagram alone. It did almost 3 million video views. Uh, it had something like 4,000 comments. And most of them were like, Nissan is messing with FaZe Clan? This is crazy. Mm. And um, I think because we were never designed to be a business, even though that's how we make money now, um, you know, I think our fans are really receptive when it's done correctly. Like taking one major piece out of that then, because you're working a lot of with large corporations now and, and global companies, how do you, how do you as the middleman, the person who's supposed to be the translator, I guess, between these esports and influencer pros and the brands, how do you make sure the brands don't meddle in your content and they trust you without you know getting a chokehold on what you're trying to release? Uh, don't get me wrong; it is a it is a learning process, and I I think you know we're doing a really good job of that internally um of being this filter between the brand's uh, objectives and aligning incentives and what we're trying to do um amongst our fans because mm. we really got to please both of them um and uh i think that that is part of the 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 learning process that we're having and um i think it's going to continue to evolve as gaming gets bigger like how do you elevate what base clan is doing how do you elevate what gaming is doing but then also do it in a way that you're pushing the business. Yeah, and like what what you were saying, I think is so important. You know, I, I've tried to be almost ferocious in protecting influencers a lot of the time when I work with brands in saying that, look, let, trust me, you need to let the influencers say, you know, within within the within obviously you know PR means you need them to say and, and create the content that's best for their fans, because otherwise no one wins. If the brand tries to meddle too much with the content, then the fans don't enjoy it. The influencer gets a dip in views so they're they've you know have um made less money as a result and then everybody everybody makes less money as a result because the campaign doesn't perform as well as you would like it to it looks like obvious you know shill sponsored content so i think it's very important to be almost ferocious in protecting your influencers to making sure that they understand that you know they are the masters of their own content within reason so another question that's that's come up um, so much recently, and I didn't have an answer for this, and I'll just give it to you basically. I'd like to hear your thoughts first before I put anything else. Do people follow the person or do they follow the brand? And what's your experience around this? I think the the people and the brand, at least in our world, are, are kind of one and the same. Um, you know, we do have uh, roughly about 40 content creators uh, and about 30 pros across the roster. Um, but as part of our social strategy, it's all about supporting one another. Um, but we do have uh, a lot of fans who might follow somebody like an Adapt, who might not follow an Apex. Um, and you know, the main channel uh, is is something that uh, is usually the glue that, that ties all that content together. Mm. And um, it's important. We love to see some, even some of our biggest talent, like we love to have them on our, our main channels. Um, where we produce a lot of um, original content that we push out, and some of it does incredibly well. We've done stuff with celebrities, we've done stuff that are trick shot montages, but a lot of it's just uh, gaming lifestyle content that's being pushed out. It's skateboarding, it's um, it's uh, you know uh, doing Nerf gun uh, shootouts at the house, um, mm. and it's a lot of playful content that we really prioritize as being part of what the the phase voice is. Yeah, I guess it goes to show once again how FaZe integrates so well. Like you were saying before, to me, it, it FaZe often operates like a clan that was around in 2008, where whenever anyone joins whatsoever, even the staff, they tag up with the name and they identify. And, and then it cuts out some of those issues where some of these teams are paying influencers to become part of them. And the influencers are sort of repping them, but they're not really. It's almost like it's their employer and they're and they're obliged to provide them with a series of promotion, where it feels like with FaZe, when someone joins, they really do become part of that family and they are really integrated and, and integral to the success on both sides. And you get that proper transfer of audience that most of these organizations are hoping for but i think many don't achieve yeah and you know we hear it oftentimes from the esports community like i i went into an event uh, a few nights ago and it was a lot of a uh, traditional esports org and they were like you guys are a media company like they you know i think for us they view us slightly different um mm. and uh, somebody used this example in a meeting and they were like you guys are like wu-tang clan and i know this might be <laughs> you might be you understand what that means 
but it's this collective and this collective together works incredibly well. And I think it, it works better when then, you know, them off as individuals and, um, you know, you fly under one banner and I even you heard this example of like phase clan is like, you're a country in the Olympics and you support various games that are being played at the summer, you know, Olympics, whether it's tennis or basketball. Um, and those are the games that we support from Fortnite to, um, to FIFA, uh, to rainbow six and the various titles that we play in. Wu-Tang. I can't wait to see the, uh, the face clan Wu-Tang collab or the, uh, the, the face clan killer bees. <laughs> we're, we're working on it. Yeah. Fantastic. Cash rules everything around me. Exactly. Well, that is your job after all. <laughs> so, uh, let's, let's change tracks a little bit to, to some of the stuff that we talked about on our, on our call, which is the reason why, you know, I wanted to record this podcast so much. In regards to revenue streams and some ways that, that um, we both think the industry should uh, look a little bit differently at it. So one of my concerns that I talked about on this call was teams signing 12-month contracts with brands. You know, I think it, it can be good if you're a team that's looking to align yourself strongly and you have a great partnership with that brand. But the downside is that if you think in regards to an influencer, often a 12-month contract locks you into a certain amount of spend, which means that if you do have exponential growth, maybe the money doesn't grow with it, as well as you're locked into not working with competitors over that period of time so how do you tackle the influencer and the esports side of it because you're doing both things at the same time do you look at these shorter deals these days are you looking at more content deals like you did with burger king and once-offs yeah i think um you know i think it's a it's a really important uh exercise to ask yourself like is does it make sense for my business today to lock myself into a 12 month contract right and you know, there's instances where it does make sense. Uh, you know, we have partners like G Fool who've been with us for a very long time. They're an extension of our brand, um, and I think we we've really helped each other's businesses grow over time, right? Mm. And that'll happen when you are partnered up for an extended period of time. Now, um, I think that locking somebody into a 12 month, even if you're a brand, unless they've got a really good sense of what they're receiving. I feel like these more shorter term opportunities, which are more media and content based, are are a, a better you know testing uh, opportunity. And um, the amount of brands that I talk to, uh, and it's all about the idea of crawl, walk, run. Mm. And you know, I think these content programs can can prove one: we have the audience, we know how to speak to them, and then the last part, which is increasingly really important, is is this going to help your business and how? And I think that's something that esports is is really struggling with at the moment. Um, where we're literally providing very basic metrics when the marketplace has moved forward. Um, Google gets uh, 40% of you know a- an advertiser spend because they can say, if you spend a dollar, you're going to get a dollar 30 in return. Hmm. And esports is it's it's a it's a work in progress. We're in the infancy of proving out the economics. Um, and when we prove out the economics, we're going to see brands. Go not only just test, but they're going to start looking at gaming entertainment as a core channel for how they activate amongst males 12 to 34. Yeah, so let's let's discuss that a lot more about the pitching and reporting part of it. So obviously when, you know, a traditional sports brand or a media agency goes to a potential client, they can say to them, look, as as per the industry standard, you can expect an X percent uplift on your brand if you compete in this campaign with us. What I've seen with decks that have come across, even from tier one global orgs, is they're more just trading on how many views they have, how many pieces of content they can do, and what the earnings of the players or the team are. And it seems very me, me, me without telling the brand what do you actually get how many fans will you get received on your social media how many dollars worth of products will you sell is that a same problem that you're having at phase um i think everybody's having those types of similar problems now uh we're slightly different where our content does really well so our metrics look really strong Mm. so now we'll get one step further and i i mean this like i feel like gaming loves to say that it's arriving esports is having this moment and it's the Mm. future advertising. But we also need to ask ourselves, gaming is still less than 1% of global ad spend. And um, that is is something we need to ask why. And the amount of content that I've seen being pushed in the marketplace of something that I know costs a lot of money that has 40,000 views is is not going to move things forward. Or uh, you'll see um, Twitch concurrence and you're like, all right, is 8,000 concurrence a lot? When a brand is used to buying television and television, they can reach 3 million people with one television spot for a TV show that's not even that highly rated. Mm. And so 
we need to also ask ourselves, like, how do we get marketers to move money from one channel to the other? And don't get me wrong, it's going to happen organically, just as uh, a lot of Gen Z and millennial fans are, are increasingly cutting the cord, they're using ad blockers. So as a necessity, marketers are going to have to adapt. However, if I have a, an option today to spend a dollar in television, and which is tried and true, and it's built my brand for the last you know 30 years, or I'm going to go jump, uh, or go throw $3 million into esports, that's a big risk. Mm. And so um, at the same time, uh, I do think that uh, there's 18 months uh, until you're going to see gaming uh, as a channel uh, becoming just a commodity. Like I do believe that the future is is very close, where the biggest brands are not only going to be dumping significant money, but they're going to make it a huge priority amongst their their total spend of how they're trying to speak to their consumers. Yeah, and, and advancing on what you were saying, the, the way I've tried to wrap it up a lot is I feel like a lot of esports teams and, and people are trading on the industry, not on themselves. They're trading on how large the global industry is, that it's that it's worth a billion dollars, that there's lots of brands coming in, but they're not actually saying, you as a brand, this is what I'm providing to you. And I literally had a call this morning with a, with a small team who's looking for their first sponsor and a very long chat with an influencer recently. And the, the very often... Uh, ask question for me is when do I get my first sponsor and how much do I charge them and usually my question back to them is what are you going to provide to that sponsor and are you confident you can do so instead of going to them and saying look I know that my other friend he gets paid a thousand dollars a quarter on Twitch because he's got 500 concurrent viewers that's okay that's a market average but ask yourself directly if you're going to Razor can you say to them that yes I have X amount of real fans and I'm going to sell you a certain amount of keyboards per month and are you confident that you can actually do that? And I, I find that, once again, that's changing, I guess, the me, me, me aspect of things. And I see this a lot uh, with influencers as well who trade on market value of things, but there's no, nothing actually backing that market value. Nothing exists. Yeah, no, I, I think you you are raising a really interesting point. And uh, something's going to happen in esports, and I, I just hope it happens not a lot. Uh, amongst our clients, it almost doesn't happen at all, but it's churn, right? Mm. There, there's nothing worse than if we get an amazing brand to come into the marketplace first time, they're like really excited, and then it tanks, right? Um, it's primarily because they, they've chosen a, a model, um, and maybe they, they made some decisions that didn't necessarily... It wasn't a full strategy. And the amount of clients that I've heard most recently in the States in particular, where it's like, oh, we're working with Twitch. Well, I'm like, that's great. And they have a tremendous platform. But if that's just your gaming platform, um, it's not going to win. And you know, mm. you need to enlist influencers. You need to look at league sponsorships. You need to look at orgs like FaZe Clan um, to really help enter your brand in an authentic way um, that will ultimately help you achieve your, your goals of the campaign. Um, but that churn thing is something that it, it's what keeps me awake at night. And, you know, it's why it's super important to, you know, invest internally in like customer success and account management and project managers. And that's mm-hmm. been a big priority since I've been at phase is bringing in professionals who have built advertising businesses before and who are going to take what they've learned and apply it to esports and gaming. Yeah, let's let's get into this churn discussion. As scary as it is for everyone, I, I think it's important to talk about. So to, to so to prephrase for those listening from outside, a lot of these tier one global blue chip brands, they are currently in their first term of sponsorship in esports as a whole. A lot of these automotive brands, a lot of the financial brands, especially the automotive ones, because we've got about five, six in, in esports as a whole. And the concern that, that Jeff and I are talking about here is is about churn and is about whether these brands will actually gain the benefit that they seek to get out of esports. And my concern, similar to what you were saying, is that a lot of these brands have come in trading on the values of esports, trading on the hype and the interest, without necessarily a plan of how they're going to gain that return on investment. I'm sure there are a few that are very well informed and they know that you know maybe they're not going to get that exact return on year one. They need to build that brand over a series of time, like we have seen in the market with brands like Coca-Cola or McDonald's, especially here in Australia. But the concern comes with the fact that are these teams who are valued at up to $300 million, is there actually real fans backing them and are they actually pushing through sales? Yeah. And, and you know, I use that point of like 18 months and I've been really preaching that to the marketplace. Uh, there's 18 months for all, us all to figure out what is the, the formula. And don't get me wrong, each brand is going to be different. 
But if we can enter brands either in Q4 or in 2020, and we work with them to identify like, what do they want to accomplish? How can I help? And how do we push things forward? They're going to have a, a, an edge up on competitors. They're going to enter that space after that 18 months. And mm. uh, over the last, I'd say the last like six to eight weeks, the amount of meetings that I've been in, uh, it has been staggering where a client or agency has come to me and been like, we're serious about gaming. We understand it's a super important uh, priority. Here's what we're, we're trying to do. What do you think? And uh, it's, it's a really interesting time in the business. And you know, I want things to move quicker as a, as a revenue guy, but I also want clients to understand why they're spending. How do we, how do we build a, a playbook for them? And, you know, it self-serving, I would be like, Oh, give all your money to the orgs like face clan, but I <laughs> yeah. know that, you know, uh, but I know that, you know, there's gotta be elements of, of Twitch. There's gotta be some content. There's gotta be some core influencers. And, you know, the, the, the way that I see the market kind of shaking out right now is that Twitch in the U S is, is, is seizing a, a giant percent of the, the, the gaming budgets, mm. but then it's going to a lot of the, the franchises and the leagues that are existing um, because it reminds a lot of marketers of traditional sports and they feel comfortable. They feel like it's controlled. Yep. Then you're seeing, then you're seeing the influencers really come into play. People like Ninja and Dr. Lupo. And, uh, and then you have the orcs. And I literally feel like today it's going, it's going Twitch. It's going the leagues. It's going the premium tier one influencers. And then it's going to the orcs. And my whole goal is to have the orgs at equal footing as the leagues and then some of the biggest influencers who exist within the space. Yeah, and I think you identified a great problem that we've talked about lots in this podcast is when to say no to things and when to push money away from you into something else, into the industry. It's really hard as, you know, as you as a revenue guy and, you know, a lot of these esports orgs are small startups to go to a brand and say, look, I don't think you're best for me. I think you should go invest in someone else because everyone's trying to get money through the door. And that's where some of that concern for churn comes when there's a brand that is maybe not best suited to a player organization. Maybe they're best suited to a TV campaign and not into esports whatsoever. You know, sure, the money is great in the short term, but it does, it can do damage to esports in the long term. And what we find is that, you know, when one automotive brand comes in, like Mercedes, who was one of the first into the industry, the rest start flowing in. Since then, we've got BMW, Toyota, we've got FaZe with Nissan, we've got Honda with Team Liquid, et cetera, et cetera. So if we can win over a couple of these brands into the industry with some proper campaigns and get them in, the rest of the competitors start to follow. Yeah. And I think that there's, I'm a firm believer in this rising tide lifts all boats. And I feel like there's this education that was just taking place. And anytime that there is a lot of competition that exists, uh, oftentimes it's a good thing for the industry. So roughly 10 years ago, I worked in advertising technology. And this is like when Google really started to turn up programmatic ad spend, and that's how they were growing their business. Well, there was a hundred companies that were entering the space at the same time. Well, what it did is it actually forced clients to develop a better understanding about what levers were being pulled, the differences between all of the, the various uh, ad tech companies. And as a result, the business matured really quickly, the revenue followed. And I'm a firm believer if you know we aren't trying to pick each other apart and we're, we're trying to really elevate uh, how we're speaking to the brand community as gaming, entertainment, and esports, um, we're going to have a much brighter future. And that two billion dollars in ad spend becomes ten billion dollars really quickly. And you know that's what I'm hyper hyper focused on figuring out. Yeah. So let's let's talk about a couple of metrics then for a second that you can talk about. Um, you know, you mentioned a few um, you mentioned a few important ones before that I think people should revisit. So your launch with Nissan got three million Instagram views. Um, you know, you're working with uh, some influencers. You know, a lot of people who are part of Phase on your team have one million plus Instagram followers. You also mentioned off the call before about uh, a deal with Champion you had as well. So can you put any other metrics behind some of your campaigns with some of these brands to to show people what you're able to deliver? Yeah. So I think always the, the proof is in the pudding. And, you know, I, I also referenced a little bit about uh, proving success when a, when a piece of branded content, which took a lot of effort and resources gets 40,000 views. Mm. And I see that so frequently in the storylines feel that they're almost every org feels like they're pushing out the same type of content, the same influencers pushing out the same type of content. Um, and uh, for us on the Nissan side, we've uh, released a, some tremendous uh, content over the last like couple weeks in particular. Um, we have a lot more that's coming. Uh, and we did something called Meet Scissors. And Scissors is one of our, our biggest personalities. Uh, he's a Fortnite World Cup creator mode champion. And he's just 
he's, he's so hardworking and he's such a great guy. Uh, well, he did his first meat scissors video um, and he did upwards of 2 million views in a week and a half uh, across IGTV and YouTube. And so those metrics, uh, I think, speak to that. And a lot of the comments are amazing. But the one that I really like to talk about is, is Champion. So uh, late last year, we did a, a collaboration. A lot of our guys were wearing Champion. And it, it for me, it's really interesting. That's a brand that is being completely redefined within the Gen Z. Mm. Like millennials didn't really wear so much Champion, but the brand is hot. And um, our apparel team uh, and uh, merchandise team um, started working with Champion. And we created a, a collaboration. And it was our logo, their logo, uh, basically, uh, taken together and we were doing direct off of our website sales. And if I shared all the, the, the actual sales information, it would blow your mind, but, uh, millions of dollars over a 24 hour period. The stat that I love the most is that we sold over $500,000 in five minutes. Mm-hmm. And that, that just speaks to the power of the brand that also speaks to the power, I think of the platform and how we're interacting. And that's also zero marketing spend. Like nothing behind it except our own channels and our own talent put in, and that's also something that uh, you know proof is in the in the pudding. Um, but also as a business, um, it's diversification of revenue, right? Um, and you know if you if you um, only are are looking at sponsorship revenue as how you're going to make money long term, that's problematic. Say you put all your eggs in in one basket, you do a twelve month sponsorship, and let's just say they fall on hard times. And then your revenue's fallen off of a cliff and you've got to minimize the churn across the rest of your portfolio. And so for us, we view, you know, our sponsorship and media and premium content as one aspect of our business. We view, you know, our uh, merchandising side as another. Um, and then we also have our esports winnings. And so it gives us uh, a lot of buckets uh, in order that we can play in. And where's where's the major focus for you in growth across all of these? You know, part of what we talked about in our call a few weeks ago is that there's so much going on with Phase. You've got you know direct uh, sponsorship with talent that you manage. You've got the Phase House and the Phase Channels. You've got the esports team and organization as well that all is sitting into that. So how did you, as the chief revenue officer, you know direct that and decide what to focus on? Uh, it's a lot. Um, you know, I, I oftentimes I, I scramble between various um, obligations and responsibilities and, and trying to figure out. But my core focus is working with brands. Um, I think uh, it also comes at a really critical time in the business where I, I feel like we are building the future monetization for esports and gaming. And we look at that as a huge responsibility. Um, we're the largest uh, by followers esports org in the world. And so if we're not going to lead, who is. And so, you know, my bulk of my day uh, is spent either client outreach or sitting across some clients, coming up with best in class ideas or servicing our existing clients. And um, I've been very fortunate that I, I came to the company at a, a really just amazing time where it, Fortnite was having a moment, our roster was really coming together, our uh, or, or channels were really growing. Um, and then we had just launched Nissan. And I th- feel like uh, it's it's led into us announcing partnerships with HTC and Wix, and we have some things coming down the pipe that are so fun. I wish I could tell you today, um, but I think they're going to blow some minds here in the next few months. Yeah, fantastic. And I, I wanted to go back to something you discussed before. I, I talked about this on a live stream this morning, and it's a big discussion in the Australian esports market right now around team content. So there was a there was a tweet that someone sent out in this discussion that really resonated with me in saying that many teams have been creating a lot of content for a long time which I think is easy to agree on. A lot of this content is aesthetically very pleasing. It looks great. The camera work is fantastic. The editing is good. The people on the camera can speak well, etc. However, the story isn't there. The the meat behind what's happening is not there. How what is what is your suggestion for these orcs? That, you know, even your competitors saying how can they make sure that their content is more authentic and make sure that their content is is more resonating with an audience? I honestly, I used to. I came from a, the data world, and we used to rely so hard on data. I feel like sometimes a lot of it has to do with gut. Um, our team, in particular, uh, content they have oversight of anything that goes out. They are very, very, very protective. Uh, we have an amazing production team that's in house. Uh, at one of the fastest growing divisions of the company, um, and they're just really selective on projects they want to take. 
And what ends up happening uh, and, and is oftentimes a lot of these orgs and businesses, they feel pressure from the business people, people like myself, who are like, hey, we need to create this piece of content for um, this consumer electronics brand. Here's what it needs to do. And so the oftentimes the content people and producers uh, and social media managers don't feel comfortable pushing back. Mm. At phase is different. Like content is king in our world and they say no a lot. And when you do that, it also goes back to clients. And uh, our clients have been, uh, they've given us a lot of, they've trusted us a lot, a lot to make sure that one, we elevate their brand. We uh, make sure that the way it's shot is, uh, it, it fits with the, the story narrative that they want to tell. Uh, and we have control. And mm. that is super, super important because I, the, the flip side of that is just the cringeworthy. It's the esports guys in their jerseys. It's their <laughs> arms crossed. Yeah. And it's, it's them in front of a, a parking lot, maybe a car behind them. And it's like, everybody looks the same. And let's, let's rethink that. Like, uh, we've actually more recently, we've released branded short films. We did something with G Fuel and Scissors and it was a 10 minute literally video about him prepping for the Fortnite World Cup. Mm. And, um, let's do content with Burger King. Let's bring the king to the house and let's do a squad stream playing Fortnite, like with the king. Like, who would have thought of that? And I think that, uh, esports is, is really, and gaming really needs to take a step back and be like, how can we be creative and how can we just not do the same stuff and shit that everybody else is doing? Because mm. it all looks the same. And that's what I love the direction because I feel like we're taking a different path. Yeah, I think a good analogy from there into esports and, and what I'm getting out of what you're saying is if you're not going to make good content, don't make content at all, especially if you're selling that to a brand and they're expecting that content to come out because it costs you a lot of money to produce. You know, this content isn't cheap. You've got, you know, cameras that are worth $10,000 plus. You've got lighting setups. You need a crew to follow people around. It takes days to edit this kind of content. And if it's not going to resonate with the audience, there's not much point in producing it. And that's it's very similar in a, in a different tangent to, to when I give advice to small esports tournaments often they say to me you know how how do i set up a twitch stream how do i set up a great live stream and i always say to them look you're running a tournament in a in an outer rim suburb for 15 year old kids a no one wants to watch that b it's probably worse pr for you to create a stream because you're gonna have to spend a lot of money on that and then it's going to hit the front page of reddit when everyone says look how terrible this stream is so a lot of the time you're better off doing no stream than you are doing you know a, a poorly executed stream and where action on that we'll be soon announcing and by the time this podcast is out we will have announced we're working with schoolies which is when um, everybody finishes their schooling in Australia they like to go up to the Gold Coast and party on the beach and they've come to us wanting to run some esports and gaming and you know we're choosing not to stream that because who wants to watch random you know 18 year old kids play Fortnite it's going to get like six concurrent viewers we're going to have to spend a ton of money on actually putting that stream together and paying commentators and getting cameras and everything together we're better off saving the money putting it into a better live experience, into a better live stream for the local community, a live experience and, and aspect, and just going with that aspect instead. Yeah, and, and I, I hear you. And it's just, I think you got to use a discretion. And I, I used to always preach this to my teams at, at Shazam, which is like, would I do that? And, uh, and or would I watch that? Would I yeah. be all about this? And oftentimes we know that the answer just runs in conflict with what the business actually is. Um, and, and you also got to think about, uh, traditional sports, right? And so esports and gaming oftentimes gets the parallels between, Oh, this is just like soccer. or This is just like the NBA and we can do a logo slap and it's going to have brand impact. Yeah. And we view it as we know, like the game gaming community is just, it's different and understanding the nuances that exist within the gaming world and try to draw the parallels to traditional sports is a recipe for disaster. And so the way that we've kind of viewed a lot of our brand integrations, it's like, all right, let's lead with content. And if there's a, a logo slap opportunity, maybe we'll do that on the back end. Um, but let's, let's create award-winning stuff. Let's have fun with it. And let's tell some stories that nobody else is. And let's do it in a fun and playful way. And that, that is winning content. That is what is going to get people excited. That's the, the type of stuff that I go to brands and I'll be like, I press play. And I'm like, yeah, that's what, what we're all about. And they're like, that was really fun. That was really weird. But I really liked it. And I see tremendous opportunity. Yeah. And I think for anyone listening, it's, it's, it's Red Bull. 
you know, so much of this content is Red Bull, right? Red Bull is can in hand. Um, they've worked with a lot of esports orgs for a long time with no logo exposure because they want the placement and they want content that's based around that. You know, Team OG just won two internationals in a row sponsored by Red Bull and there is so much well-produced and funny and interesting, engaging and natural content that's came out of that. Yeah, I, I think it's funny. Like, uh, I came from the music side. Early in my career, I worked in radio. And I think that it, there's this really... I would prefer that gaming looks like more like music than it does like sports. Yeah. And I think that it, it's just, it's a creative outlet. I think it's a, it's a, just a little bit of a different experience. Um, and I, I also think that, you know, we, we need to look at gaming as this is a global phenomenon, right? And I feel like sports there it's, you know, I think some like FC Barcelona has done a really good job, but like uh, a lot of these gaming orgs and brands, like, this is an opportunity to speak to a global audience that is larger than almost any sport, except maybe for soccer during a world cup year. Mm. And, um, we need to be mindful that, you know, a gamer in the U S can be, you know, playing against a, a gamer in Australia, playing against a gamer in Spain. And I, I think that those are the beautiful stories and that's what I want to tell. Yeah, so let's let's change the the topic entirely and let's chat about the the COD franchise league, Call of Duty World League. So for those people listening, uh, Blizzard Activision they've created a franchise league in Overwatch with spots that have a sticker price of around twenty million USD, where you become part of a franchise system. You buy a slot, um, you're given a team name that's that's based in a location, like say Washington Justice is one of the new ones. You're now playing home and away games, and you're generating a completely new brand for that. Phase uh, being well known for coming from you know the depths of Call of Duty uh, for many, many years. Uh, Call of Duty, which is also Blizzard Activision, has announced a franchise, World League, for that, which is $25 million as a sticker price per slot. Is is FaZe uh, looking at a, at a COD franchise spot? Do you already have one? That's probably the best part, place to start the conversation. Uh, we do not have one. Um, and there's decisions that uh, our council, some of the earliest founders and our CEO, there's a decision that they'll ultimately make. Now, it's a huge risk um, for any, you know, 100 Thieves has come out and says that they're not going to buy one. Um, and it might be the model moving forward, but it also goes back to what we're talking about, traditional sports and gaming. It's just different. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big risk. You know, you're banking on the future uh, valuation of it. So you buy in at, at $20, $25 million and you hope that over time it becomes just as big as the NFL. And you know what? It might. Um, you know, gaming is, is universal. Gaming is this huge opportunity. I think we're all in the early innings of it. It might be the model, but um, up to this point, we haven't made any announcements to, to buy a franchisee. Yeah. And I mean, there's so many it's it's such an interesting discussion for me. I really want to get someone, and someone's listening to the podcast who does have a current franchise spot. I've been really pushing to get someone on as well to to discuss that because it's uh it's been such a heated debate. I think in anything esports, there's so many publishers now that are taking control of their esports. You know, you've got Riot Games who's been doing it since the start. They do everything in house from employing the commentators full time to you know owning the live production facilities. You've got you know Blizzard, Activision now with the two you've got paladins as a, as a tier two or tier three you know with their pro league and valve has started taking more control of, of what's happening do you do you find that as a concern for phase do you think that maybe you'll start being locked out from some of these relationships if they all go franchise based uh it, it could be but i don't necessarily see that that happening um you know one of the things with is tying yourself to i think phase is bigger than any one particular game um and i think that's something that we've always prided ourselves on i think there are eight orgs and we put ourselves in the lead position uh, who compete in a variety of games. And I think that, you know, you'd have to, you'd have to have to sacrifice other aspects of your business to go all in with the franchisee. And, and who knows, like there, there could be opportunities down the road. I don't know. Um, and you know, they're making the model work with overwatch. Um, they're doing it more based on geography and activating a fan base. Um, you know, I, I think, I try to make a lot of the parallels between the Lakers. I'm a huge NBA guy. I love the Lakers. I'm born and raised in LA. Um, would I root for, uh, uh, if I'm in a city that doesn't have a team, like how do I select who I root for? Um, mm. If you don't take some of these like legacy fans, like the optics and phase of the world, but who knows? Um, I think that the, the business is, is changing um, very quickly. The money's coming in. And I do think the, the one advantage on the, on the league side is going to be that brands feel comfortable there. Right. 
Um, it mm-hmm. reminds them of a much more of a, a closed e- ecosystem to control what the jersey experience like, the brand sales, the ticketing, and there's oversight. And um, you know that it's going to be interesting to see how it, it shakes out. Um, and I can't really speak for for what our ultimate goal will be on the franchise uh, uh, team. I just can make the announcement we don't have a, a seat in any of those leagues today. So thinking about you and, and your position at FaZe and, and those who work with you, there's been so much content I've produced and, I, and I've seen other people um, now talking about the importance of sales in esports and how it's underdeveloped. So how does your sales team structure work? And can you run me through quickly, let's say that you approach a, and let's say you approach an automotive brand, they sign on with you, who makes what decisions and how does that funnel into, uh, into a, a fan buying a product? Yeah. So I think that the one thing with gaming today is that you have to speak to a lot of people in order to really secure budget, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, gaming is something that's, that's tried and true by, by any means. And I'll use an example of, of, a, of a recent uh, partner that we're working with or about to be announced we're working with. So we had to speak primarily to the gaming liaison agency uh, that existed. That then led to uh, their marketing team at the direct client which then led into their content team, which then led into the media team. And so uh, historically, like I've only had to speak to one of those people. And gaming has that, has that challenge where um, you have to speak to a lot of people to get them comfortable to make the investment, especially the investments necessary to work with FaZe Clan. Um, and so the way that our sales team is is primarily centered in, I've always built my business this way where I've, I've wanted a bulk of our staff uh, close to the mothership. Um, I think it's important that they can sit across from our production team. They can sit across from finance um, to ultimately, you know, build best in class programs, which is what we've been doing for you know the the past few years. And um, you know, we do have some remote people in outer markets, and then you know, I'm, uh, there are tremendous opportunities also to expand globally. And we're exploring those um, that are the best fit for us today. And and how large is is your sales team and, and related content team? So we have roughly about a dozen people that work within the the revenue side of the uh, of the equation, and our our, our production team is of, of equal size. Um, so uh, there we ha- work with some just tremendously talented individuals. Apex, uh, who is one of our their earliest Phase Clan members, a member of our council, one of the owners of Phase Clan. Um, he has a voice. Um, we also have another guy named Femi, who is he he is. Every day, I find him also the most interesting man in Phase Clan um, because he can do branded content. He can do content that's just purely designed for consumers. If you want him to sh- do a photo shoot, so like, um, there's a lot of super talented individuals that actually make up Phase Clan, and many of them you don't know. Um, mm. They're behind the scenes. They're doing the heavy lifting, and you know, I'm I'm fortunate that I get get to go to work with some of these people on at day in and day out. And a couple of things that you've t- that you touched on, you touched on just then and, and a few times before, is the global aspect of gaming and esports. With Phase, you know, being a, a primarily American organization, what's what's your plan for development in some of these other areas? Are you concerned about you know having that identity and not being able to say align with you know Portuguese speaking fans or going into China? You know, how do you maintain relevance around the world? So when I tell people this, they're oftentimes surprised. Like our roots are North American. Um, you know, we have uh, talent all over the U.S. We actually have a lot of talent in Europe, um, but fifty percent of our audience actually comes from outside of the U.S. Um, our Rainbow Six team is almost all Brazilian. Um, a lot of our uh, competitive pros, our PUBG team, uh, a lot of Europeans. Um, and so we're already a global brand already. Um, it's just how do we connect all of these parts under a single umbrella? And I think, you know, I would love to see us take a, a playbook uh, very similar to what you see, uh, like the Premier League. And they play in, in Europe, but they're a global brand. Uh, all throughout Asia and Africa and uh, Europe and all these places. And, um, you know, phase is universal and we look at gaming as universal. And, um, you know, we, we definitely have big aspirations for what we want to do in those markets. And does that, does that create more confusion for brands when you're talking to them about what to sell? Um, obviously, there's an opportunity available there where you can work with, you know, specific Brazilian brands with your, with your Brazilian team. You can work with European brands and, and such too. And I guess that also goes into the same question again is what do you decide to focus on? 
I think uh, the best um, companies on the monetization side, in my experience, are ones who just prioritize what is the biggest opportunities in front of them, right? Mm. I'm a firm believer in this idea of aggressive prioritization, how I start my day, brands that we're going after. And it, it's, a, it's also something that I've seen even with some of our existing clients is they have a US operation and a global operation. And yeah. so it goes back to the fragmentation of where gaming fits today, where it's now it's a it's not just four departments I got to speak to, it's another four departments. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I really, really want us to make the right decisions. And I, I feel like, you know, we are going to identify areas of growth and then we're going to map priorities to, to do that. And that's also a problem with esports and gaming is that nobody has today, nobody has Google like uh, resources. So you've got to be really mm. selective with these decisions that you make as a business. Yeah, and there's a few fantastic nuggets of information there that I want to highlight. Number one is choosing what to focus on. That's, I find, the hardest thing in esports because organizations, especially, they're going, well, crap, there's a new game that's big. I better sign a team. So all of a sudden, they've got 11 teams that they can't afford to maintain across CSGO and to Clash Royale, to Fortnite, to PUBG, to streamers, to Call of Duty, et cetera, et cetera. And finding kind of that core of, of what you're known for and keeping that messaging tight, I think, is very important. And the same goes for sales as well. But there's an advantage out of that where what I explain to people is that know, know who you're selling to and who they report to. There's an advantage in having a global and having a global uh, marketing team as well as having a local marketing team. You know, if you're in a region like Australia or Malaysia, try as much as you can to talk to that local team because they have separate budgets and sometimes a completely separate business plan and proposal from these global teams. Because if you're going straight to the globals, you're going straight to Razer, SteelSeries, Corsair, HQ, you are competing then with FaZe. You're competing with Cloud9. You're competing with you know these other big organizations. And that's not where you want to be if you're sitting in the Tier 2, Tier 3 market. There's so much advantage to localizing your content and localizing your fans. You know, An example here is we've done some influencer activations with a local Mercedes dealership. It wasn't even with Mercedes Global. It wasn't even with Mercedes in this state or Mercedes Australia. It was purely with the one dealership because we knew that the biggest creator involved in this had 170,000 Instagram followers. 88% of his followers are from Australia. And out of that, 60% are in the region of where this car dealership is located. So it made perfect sense to really hyper-localize that content. Another one for here for us in Australia is I'm told that KFC franchises here have to spend somewhere around 11% of their revenue on marketing and none of them know how to. So instead of going to KFC, you know, Australia or to Global, why not reach out to your local one and say, hey, I can run some gaming activations at your store. I can bring influencers to your store with Australian audiences and activate on it that way. Yeah, and I'll, I'll probably like like jumble the actual app, but everybody always goes to what I, I label as nostalgia brands, right? It's like, I like Nike, so let's approach Nike and let's do all these resources. Well, unfortunately, Nike isn't right for everybody, right? Mm. Um, and some of the biggest tech companies in the world, the Facebooks and Google, they actually make most of their money from small to medium-sized businesses. Uh, I think yeah. I, I'll, I'll botch this number, but I think it's it's Facebook has something like 5 million local advertisers. 5 million. And, you know, as a result of that, you know, they can identify which ones, um, you know, work best on the platform and then they can allocate resources, which is what esports and gaming is what I have to do on any given day just to make sure that we aren't overextending ourselves and that, you know, the message that we need to be saying is, 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 is being held true to, to follow through on. Yeah. Yeah, and, and like a meeting I was having last night about, you know, I was talking to some people about traditional sports and esports and, and signing on clients. And they were saying, look, you can spend a lot of resources and a lot of time going after the big five TV sports here in Australia, trying to sign them on as clients. But instead, you should probably go for 20 of the tier two and tier three sports because A, it'll cost you less resources. B, they're really struggling and looking to innovate. But C, if one of them leaves, it doesn't leave a massive hole. You know, and, and they told me a story of a, of a quite successful company they had a large client leave and they had 45 people on that one single account that they had to get rid of, you know, as soon as this one client left because they weren't anywhere near diversified enough. But now if one of their 30 clients leaves, that's okay. They can cover that. They can patch up that hole and go look for someone else. No, it's a, uh, it's, it's so true. Um, and you know, that's, that's oftentimes I think part of the problem I feel like with a lot of esports and there's obviously the top tier, the mid tier is they probably have one or two clients, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's really hard when I mean, you probably don't have a lot of advertising and a lot of 
um, customer success people is like working with that client to make sure that they don't go anywhere. Uh, and so, you know, as the business matures, there'll be more uh, brands that come in, which I think will give people more options and it'll be more hopefully of a, of a sustainable business versus a lot of the volatility that I think that is in the marketplace today where it's, Oh, this brand came in, it didn't work. We're pulling back. Mm. And I wish that, you know, that churn as we kind of kicked off the conversation wasn't a, a real thing that's taking place, but you know, it, it is a very real concern that I feel like everybody needs to have because we can keep all these guys happy as the marketplace grows. Uh, it's going to be, it's going to exponentially increase the revenue that's coming into the mix. Yeah. So keeping the conversation around, uh, esports brands and, and trends, what, what, uh, industries do you think will be coming in next? And, and besides that, what industries do you think should be exploring the esports market who aren't currently? I think it, it, there's some very interesting uh, recent en- entrance into the marketplace. This Louis Vuitton mm. uh, coming to the League of Legends. Like, if you would have asked me a year ago, would Louis Vuitton uh, be advertising with League of Legends? I'd be like, why? Uh, if you would have asked me uh, a few months ago, would Adidas be partnering with Ninja? I'd be like, really? Um, I think you saw a lot of cars that have come in. I think the next wave is going to be a lot of financial services. Um, you know, PCs and, and a lot of these companies have been in the market since the very, very beginning. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I think you're going to see more and more CPGs that are going to come in um, and uh, the QSRs. So uh, quick service restaurants, the McDonald's, the Burger Kings, the Domino's of the world, they're doing a little bit, but they're not doing a lot. And I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see because that's who their target is. It's it's males 12 to 34. And um, if we can hold their hand as they come into the marketplace with the, we are where their fans are and their consumers are, um, I feel like there's a huge, huge upside that can take place. Yeah. And I'd, I'd love to see some more health food brands coming into the space as well. I think it's right. Yeah. You know, a great suggestion on one of my live streams was, was our water bottle brands. Is probably a pretty decent one, and you know they've obviously got high revenue margins and a lot of marketing budget to spend as well. Uh, like even just like a brand that I personally just love, like a Yeti, right? Uh, they make amazing products. Uh, gamers, I think, are you know they're pretty self aware, uh, eco conscious of of things that they do, and you know when um, you know it's really important also that like you said is that there's a lot of healthy um, type brands that come in. Uh, to the marketplace that we're not just flooding uh, the, the market with like burgers and whatnot. But, mm. you know, we do, we do want to, um, you know, mirror the consumption habits and aspirational nature of who our fans are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, phase we've, we've talked about kind of all the positives thus far. We've talked about signing new brands and, and how you're generating content and, you know, you've, you've got some new exciting things going on. What are the major roadblocks for you and what keeps you up at night besides churn? Uh, I think, um, it's the, it's the speed of how we're going to grow the business. Um, and there, and I use churn as an example, but we've got to like build a system. And, uh, you know, I always use the example in the, in the U S we, we, we have the, the new England Patriots, right. And the San Antonio Spurs and the NBA for 20 years, these, these orgs have been really good at what they do. They win championships. They have great coaches. They have great management. Um, it's a supportive environment. And so that's the things that I really am hyper-focused on. And those are what keep me awake at night. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also have random moments when you work in the talent business, like phase kind of is, I'm like, did I, do I, I need to make sure I get a brand deal for this guy. Uh, and you know, it, it's a human business mm-hmm. and a lot of our individual talents, livelihoods, um, you know, they, you know, gamers, it, I don't think they know necessarily what is the, like the longevity of, of what their career is going to be. You know, I think Ninja and Dr. Lupo are like the oldest guys in the room and they're, you know, 30 years old. Ninja is like 28 and Dr. Lupo is like 32 or something like that. And so what keeps me awake at night is, is making sure that gaming and esports is a good thing for them personally and professionally. Mm. And that also it prepares them for what's next, whether it's continuing to be a professional gamer, content creator, or, you know, getting access to, the uh, or getting access to more of uh, the business side, which I think is a is a big area of focus for all of us at phase. Yeah, and that sets up, uh, you know, the last topic I really want to talk about today perfectly. So been, I've been creating a bit of content about this as well as on a live stream yesterday with, with Jerry Sarkas, the CEO of Playside, talking about setting up these esports professionals and these influencers for the future. 
a lot of esports and and um, content creators right now are doing pay for play. You know, they're doing promote X brand, we'll pay you Y amounts. You know, make a video, we'll pay you to come to an event to bring people. However, you know, some of them are making fantastic money. If you look at the top end of Twitch, some of them are making a million dollars a month, which is great. However, a lot of these creators are thinking right now they're making great money, say $300,000 a year. But if they fall out of favor, they want to stop creating content, uh, their channel dies, there's nothing left for them whatsoever. So how how does FaZe tackle that issue of setting your players up for the future and, and life after competition or life after content? Yeah, so we actually have something that's coming up pretty soon where it's literally teaching some of our, our younger talent. So, you know, you have like version 1.0. So a lot of like the influencers and gaming celebrities that have come through, uh, oftentimes it just happened kind of by accident, right? Um, but this next generation, you know, they're starting younger. And those are the ones that we want to have the most amount of impact to be like, here's how you can protect yourself legally. Here's fitness. Here's how you can build a social following. Here's your, how you diversify your brand. Uh, here's how you diversify your revenue. Um, and uh, here's nutrition and fitness. And um, the one thing that's really interesting, it, and I spend a lot of time at the house, is uh, these guys work so hard right now. And then some of our oldest talent, I think is like 24. I think Nate Hill is 24 years old. Mm. Um, and... For us, it all starts with getting when they're younger is developing best practices. And so there's a foundation. And so when this, you know, uh, version 2.0 comes up, um, they're going to be prepared and, you know, it'll be a little bit more professional in nature, which I think is something that I'm really looking forward to. Yeah. Fantastic, mate. So what's, what's coming up next for FaZe? Uh, there are some announcements that are coming out by the time that this podcast comes out, um, that are, I think, in a, people are going to be like, whoa. Um, face clan is already, you know, the largest, most subscribed to, uh, esports and gaming lifestyle brand in the world. Um, but we have some things that I think people are gonna like, holy crap. And I, I really want to talk a lot about that. Um, and it's continuing to build audience. It's finding best in class partners. It's putting just content that is just, it's just different. And, um, those are the things that I'm personally, um, the most focused on here in the short term. And if anyone wants to connect with you or your organization online, where can they do so? Uh, probably for me, the best place, uh, I'm kind of private on a lot of my socials, but you can find me on LinkedIn. I post content every week or two. So would love to hear from you, uh, and connect. Yeah, fantastic, mate. Thanks so much for joining today. It's it's great to, I guess, get a bit of a peek behind the curtain into FaZe and, and see how you guys operate and, and I guess help for those people who are coming up in the industry to understand that it's not always rosy at the top. There are always problems that happen and uh, there are solutions still to be had. Yeah, I know it's it's a we're all we're all learning together. We're all building the, the future together and um, you know, it's a it's a big responsibility to be placed on ourselves. Mm, and it's, I mean, it's the advantage, right, of, of why, you you know, you would choose to be part of this industry. You get to work on something new and you, you get to lead the charge into the unknown, the abyss. <laughs> I know it's ambitious, but you're saying I'm creating the future business model of competitive gaming. Like it's a... It's Sounds a like a pitch deck. <laughs> it's like, holy crap, it's a lot of pressure. But, um, you know, if you, if you do it and you're calculated and methodical and you're using data to support your growth and... You know, I, I feel like we're, we're just getting started and this is going to be a hell of a ride. Yeah, and I, th- and I think it also just shows how serious FaZe is about it. It's not just about a bunch of hooligans just, you know, slamming back beers and jumping into pools. And, you know, you actually take this, this position in the market very seriously and, and the growth of the industry very seriously. Definitely. Yeah. So Fantastic, mate. Well, thanks for joining us today. And thank you for the listeners listening to this podcast with Jeff. Had a fantastic chat today. Hope you enjoyed. Once again, feel free to leave us a uh, review or a five star would be fantastic as well. You can see any of the show notes to anything we've talked about today and any of the links at bigesports.gg forward slash five six. We've got so many more interesting podcasts coming out very soon. I can't wait to share with them. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. 